Hi, everyone. This is Tom Galker, and I'm here to first say thank you for making last week my biggest listen to week ever for Something Came From Baltimore. I am such a big music fan, and I'm glad that I'm finally connecting to some people who are interested in listening, and they're going back and checking out the deep catalog, or all I have to do is say thank you very much. I want to thank the European market, especially Sweden, Germany, and France. You've doubled my listenership and since COVID. Uh, I guess you had a little more free time. But you want to be a part of that Be More music scene, and I want you to be a part of it also. And that's kind of what I'm asking for you today. I'm going to ask you to please forward a link of this show or of the podcast to five of your friends and just ask them to subscribe. If you think they're going to like this podcast, say, hey, this is something I'm into. I think you might like it also. Uh, This is an independent podcast. So what that means is uh, I'm not connected to a podcast company. And companies similar to like Wondery and Crooked Media, I've reached out to all of them. They haven't bit yet. But if you're attached to one of those podcast companies, then you become a part of that search bar. Like, for example, I love Questlove Supreme's podcast, and I love Joseph Arthur's uh, Coming to Where I Am From. I, I listen to them religiously. But if you drill down afterward, it says, well, if you like this uh, podcast, if you like this podcast, then you're going to like this one. And you scroll through that list and you just don't see mine. I'm not on those lists. I haven't been on those lists until I'm connected to one of those major companies. I probably will never be on those lists. And that's kind of why I'm asking you to help me out and connect some people who will like this kind of content. Something Came From Baltimore is a podcast, but now it is a show also. It's called Something Came From Baltimore, The Show. It's a half-hour show on the internet. It's an internet radio station that I totally recommend. There's no commercials. It's all good music, and it's called TheBox.com. The, B-O-C-X, dot com. You need to find this app and download it, and then you're going to have this cool, chill jazz radio station available to you 24 hours anywhere that you're at. So I totally recommend it. I fell in love with that station, and we've connected, and I said I would love to just you know, repackage my material and put it on your station, and we're doing that. So every Thursday at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, you'll see my show, but also repeats are going to be available right here on Something Came From Baltimore. (laughs) That is thebox.com, T-H-E-B-O-C-X.com. To recap, I want to thank you for listening. Uh, forward this podcast to five friends. Start listening to thebox.com. Listen to Something Came From Baltimore, the show. And coming up in the future, we're going to dig into the vaults. We're going to have the Beatles come to America, and we're going to have some great new music. Welcome to Something Came From Baltimore, the show. Today, we're chatting with Kat Edmondson. Welcome to another episode of Something Came From Baltimore. I am your host, Tom Galker, and tonight on the phone is jazz vocalist Kat Edmondson. 
Kat calls herself a vintage pop singer, and while her previous recordings have polished her ability to create an authentic retro soundscape, it was just a matter of time that she was going to take her masterful skills and start to dig into the American songbook. Kat Edmondson's new recording, Dreamers Do, is focusing her attention on the wonderful world of Disney. Classics from Cinderella, Pinocchio, and Mary Poppins, to name a few, get the specialized vintage pop makeover that only Kat Edmondson can do. Dreamers Do was released February 7, 2020, and I was able to get her on the phone before she starts her world tour to promote the album. I give myself very good advice. Oh, but I very seldom follow it. And that explains the trouble that I'm always in. Kat Edmondson, welcome to Something Came From Baltimore. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. You are coming to Hamilton soon on March 26th, and you have Ramshead in Annapolis on March 28th. And I know you're getting ready for your tour. Yeah. I have to admit that this is a really fantastic album. I received it on Friday, just like everyone else, and I've been listening to it all weekend. And it's to me, is very special. I think you did a really great job with it. Thank you so much. I'm delighted that you feel that way. Your previous albums were original songs written by you that paid homage to uh, this recording era, this special recording era. This is your first album of covers that you focus your attention on movies and Disney in particular. Actually, my, my very first record, this is, this is my fifth record, my very first record was all covers. Um, and my uh, the history of my career started with the American Songbook, um, which I think is probably apparent in the music that I write. I'm always referencing that, and, and it's, um, it's just my, my, my greatest influence. So um, uh, the Songbook is very much a part of my, my daily life. It's, uh, I listen to other uh, interpreters of uh, that music, and um, my choice for uh, singing these Disney songs actually had to do with um, a song that I had written, Too Late to Dream, uh, that's on this record. There are only two original songs on this album. And uh, I wrote it uh, sincerely asking the question, is there a point in our lives in which it is too late to dream? And when I was um, pondering that, I started referencing the music that I heard very early on in my childhood that uh, it, that was on from Disney movies where we all learned, we all heard these messages that when you wish upon a star, your dreams come true and uh, a dream is a wish your heart makes. And no matter uh, how your heart is grieving, if you keep on believing, a dream that you wish will come true. And these were very strong messages that so many of us received at such an early age. And incidentally, we're being written by the men, the composers. I say men. I mean, there was an occasional woman. But <clears throat> the people that uh, were composing the music that 
we now know as the Great American Songbook. So this this music very much uh, is a part of that. <clears throat> and um, I'm passionate about this music. I I know it so well. It's almost inherent in in the music that I make. Um, these melodies and the sounds on the recordings. Um, so it's really fun to dive back into all of this repertoire. Or is it too late to dream? Am I no longer free? Am I caged by my age? And is this the last stage when I shine but give way to a day that isn't mine will it pass me by before my time is it too late to dream my 14th question was about Too Late to Dream. I wrote, it's a, this is a perfect song for this album where the it's a lullaby with surreal cloud-like arrangements. How's that? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's, I wanted to capture the essence of, of the, the question that the, the song asks, um, am I caged by my age? Is it too late to dream? Um, and then... And then one hears the, the sounds of celeste and very like lullaby instrumentation that we were introduced to as children. And I wanted to evoke the feeling of a child almost asking that question uh, because uh, there's a, an immediate poignance to that, that a child would ever ask that. We would never want a child to ask, is it too late to dream? And yet we all face at some point in our lives that question, I think, maybe on a regular basis, maybe if you're lucky, only every now and then. But um, oftentimes between taxes and dishes and and all the things that we're trying to do and accomplish in our adult lives, it can feel like maybe that that's just for children. One of the ideas is that your dreams are more for optimistic future and the songs were not really like I dream for my perfect spouse or my husband like I wish for that man to come into my life it was more on the lines of, of like a really optimistic viewpoints and um, that's to me is really refreshing yeah the other thing I wanted to accomplish in the making of this record every song on the album is uh, on the subject of dreams and actually, the song takes place over the course of a single night, going to sleep and waking up the next morning as a metaphor for what it is to experience our dreams throughout our life. Um, and that's very abstract as I, as I hear myself saying that. But um, everyone can relate to dreams. It's part of our human experience. And it's interesting that you touched on longing because we refer to that as dreaming. But then we also refer 
to uh, the visions that we have for the future as dreaming. And and the, those things evoke different emotions. The longing can can evoke a despair or a sense of lack, uh, a worry. Um, and that's brought up in the record in, in other songs uh, because our associations with dreams are so vast. I mean, it ranges everything from wonder and joy to fright, absolute fear and anxiety um, and sadness and despair and then also great peace. What was that noise? The creaking of the floor. Can't remember now if I locked the door. Someone in the house. Don't know how. Perhaps I should. I could get up and see, but I don't want to go. talking about uh, anxiety you must be talking about someone's in the house and and uh, <laughs> that to me is the first time i heard it i was like oh she's really pouring out her internal bjork like there's a lot of vocal gymnastics that you're doing on this song it's it's a home run i would say that this is probably one of my favorite songs off this album thank you thank you yeah i mean the point that the song comes up in the album, it happens also in the arc of the story. At, at that point in the night when one wakes up in the middle of the night, having heard a sound, and A, you're not sure if the sound came from, you know, you, if you dreamt it or if you really heard it, and then B, if the sound came from somewhere in my house, who created it, who or what created it, uh, and, the, and the path that the mind goes down. Um, which is full of anxiety, right? So um, I, I put that at the point in the, in the album when one's mind begins to race and then it's hard to go back to sleep and then there's a lot of restlessness and uh, fear. And incidentally, as I wrote that song, I wanted to authentically convey what it is to feel, to feel that. And so every time I sat down to work on it, I made sure that it was when I was home alone, late at night, <laughs> and and I gave myself a good fright several times working on that tune, and um, and also just had a ball, a, so so much fun. This album to me feels expensive, and I mean it by the production value is very strong in this modern day it's really easy to kind of go into a Pro Tools kind of world. This album feels lush and, and the instrumentation is pretty awesome. And I'm curious if you had everyone real close by, was everyone in the room when you were doing this? How do you collaborate with your, your musicians? Thank you. I like my musicians as close as possible. Sometimes it's hard to accomplish that when we're, when we're recording, if the ideal scenario is if we can all be in the same room together. Um, and that's really ideal. That doesn't always work for certain reasons. Um, for time's sake and efficiency's sake, and you mentioned cost 
or ex have the record sounded expensive. Um, it can be very expensive to record all in the same room because if there's anything that you want to change, you actually have to do another complete take. Whereas if you are all um, sort of within the same room <clears throat> and you're isolated within various booths, with windows looking at one another so you can still kind of see each other. You can accomplish getting an isolated recording while listening to each other and feeling like you're interacting with one another. Um, and then, for, for instance, if, if someone plays something that they didn't like, they can then singularly go and overdub uh, that one track over the recording. So that's often the route that we take. My last record, um, Old Fashioned Gal, was... Uh, mostly all in the same room. This record, we definitely had to do isolation because there were over 40 instruments on the album, and um, there were so many moving parts that it was necessary to isolate everyone. But again, we could we could all see each other. There's windows, there's glass windows, so we can all look through and kind of watch each other's expressions and movements and see where everyone's beginning and ending with the phrases and things, uh, so so we feel together. One, two, one. A dream is a wish that your heart makes. When you're fast asleep And dreams you will lose yeah. Amy Winehouse was like a jazz singer who was like doing a mashup. She was taking the past and, and kind of infusing it with the present. And you are fully committed to that sound of that era. And you refuse to sound kitschy at all. I mean, how do you get your band to be on your page and your vision? I love uh, old music. And it comes through my music, uh, but I don't love old music for novelty's sake. So first, it all begins with the intention. Um, the reason why my music is reminiscent of past decades is because that's that's my greatest influence. If, it's like if you know if you grew up with your grandma in the next room and and you spoke to her every day, she would be one of the people that influenced what you thought and what you said and, and what you liked. And, and so for me, this music is the, the thing that I focused on so much for so many years um, and still do, that it's, uh, it's natural to me. It's in my nature to make these sounds. As far as recruiting other people to make this, these sounds with me, um, it, it starts in the hiring um, and... I'm very particular about who I play with. They have to have uh, the right sensibility. And all of the guys that and and ladies um, that played on this album, my my immediate band is is all guys. We're drums, bass, guitar, and piano. Um, but then, as I mentioned, there's over 40 musicians on this record, so everyone involved. Um, has a strong sensibility and is, has a sophisticated sensibility and, and, and does not approach the music in a, in a kitschy or novel kind of way. 
Um, so everyone is intimately uh, familiar with with the music that I'm referencing, really. And also, I think, I guess that my, my intention is quite apparent when we're in the studio. I'm not shy about saying what I want and what I need and what's not working. So I think that helps guide us through the session. When I was listening to this album, I got super nervous because I feel like your research on this album is intense because the, the production value is like spot on. And um, it seems like you're studying, I'm just naming off some people that, that I see references of like Doris Day or Peggy Lee or Blossom Deary, Rosemary Clooney and Keely Smith. And I think I'm hitting some of those influences, but if there's other ones, am I hitting some of them or what? Yeah. In fact, you are. Those, that's lovely, actually, because those were uh, some of my earliest uh, musical influences. That's who my mom was playing around the house, with the exception of Blossom Deary, who I didn't learn until I didn't uh, learn about until I started my career and people started making vocal comparisons to her. And then I began checking her out, and I totally fell in love with her. And and um, I I would think that her her sound and her sensibility comes through my music because I I think so much about her now. Um, but other people, well, Joni Mitchell was an inspiration on this record. Um, for uh, I guess I was I thought of her a lot um, when we were making Someone's in the House and also on Second Star to the Right, a later track in the record. Okay, so I am in love with all your album covers. We're talking about your album, but the album covers, you take so much time. They represent like previous album covers from the past. You never duplicate. You always are doing your own thing. Is this your vision? Is it a group of people that are doing this? Because they're all awesome. Thank you. Um, It's always been my vision until I began to work with um, Maria Marulanda, who... Uh, made the album cover for the big picture. And that was entirely, I mean, we, I did the shoot and we conceptualized the shoot, the photo shoot. But Maria has been my album designer since the big picture. She did the cover for Old Fashioned Gal and she did Dreamers Do. And I always, we always start, um, or at least in the last two records, we, we start with, my concept and my vision and I'll offer up the photo and say what it is that I'm looking for. And then she puts it together in, in, the, in the most beautiful presentation. Um, she's very talented and she, she does a lot of really big uh, albums. And so I'm always grateful when I get the chance to work with her. Makes no difference who you are 
The song "When You Wish Upon a Star" is so familiar, and I had no idea <laughs> anymore that was from Pinocchio because it's so universal. It seems to be like the most current arrangement and a, a moody arrangement. Is this uh, something that you're pushing for, like a triple A format radio? Is this going to be a single of yours for this album? You know, I'm not pushing it to triple A radio. It's even like you know college. Radio stations now are uh, that kind of radio format. They're playing like a lot of really loud, like rock music, like heavy drums or big strummy guitars. And um, so, uh, even though this is a, a poppier side of of the record for sure, um, I think you know comparatively in that landscape, maybe it just it, it would get swallowed up. But the song is very danceable um, in, an, in an adult sort of way, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a kind of mellow, with your glass of wine, you know, chilling out sort of way. Um, and um, it evokes a mystery. It's When You Wish Upon a Star is a song that we all know. It's ubiquitous. Um, and we all know it to be this very tender, um, warm and fuzzy song that, that comes from early on in our lives. And um, Cliff Edwards' voice is the voice of Jiminy Cricket on that. It's a wonderful old musician who was famous for singing and playing the ukulele um, in the 30s. And um, if you listen carefully to his recording... It sounds somewhat haunting, actually. The reverb on his voice is is rather haunting, actually, um, when you're not watching it along with an animated picture. And so I wanted to start there and show that when you when you follow your dreams, it's wonderful and and it's hopeful, and it's also frightening to sort of embark out into the woods by yourself at night, if you will. That was the image I kept getting. Like, when you follow your dreams, it's a rather blind pursuit. You, you, you're following a, a, a knowing and perhaps a feeling, but there's no, no promise of anything. And you don't have guideposts, but you're looking for them, and so it can be wonderful and mysterious and also a little bit scary.
in the world of my own has a solo it starts out with a violin at the beginning but then there's a solo and i am going like is that a violin or is that it's a theremin he, and he's it's this electronic instrument there's it looks like it's it's a little electronic box and a, and what looks like a lightning rod coming out of it and the player literally plays the air he's playing the sound waves and manipulating them he puts his hand over top of it and kind of moves it around right yeah 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 it's pretty actually it's to the side of it and it's fascinating to watch because it looks like absolute magic and and the and this player in particular who who's a rather world renowned fairman player his name's Rob Schwimmer um he is rather magical himself <laughs> A sweep is as lucky as lucky can be. Chim chimney, chim chimney, chim chim churoo. Good luck will rub off when I shake hands with you. Oh, blow me a kiss. You really incorporated steel drums in Chim Chimmery, which I mm -hmm. thought was pretty special and original, also. And uh, what made you think of doing steel drums? I don't know. That was just inspiration. It just was there in my mind, and I followed it. Sometimes I just get ideas. I, a lot of times, I don't know where they come from, and I just, I just follow them. Have you contacted Disney at all and let them know that you have this wonderful album out here? Is it, they are doing so many remakes of the original movies and. Wouldn't it be great if they incorporated one of your songs? It would be great. I don't know exactly who to contact over at Disney, except the publishers um, who I needed to get clearance through in order to sell this music. <laughs> so they're aware. But as far as um, any anyone up in a creative department, I would absolutely love for them to want to utilize this. It's um, That would be wonderful. I think we threw out an idea there that maybe someone can grab one. So let's, we put it out there. That was our wish. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. It means a lot. Oh, sure. And I'm so excited that you like the record. Oh, no, no. I know. It sounds like a weird. I was going to say first, look, I do interviews, but this is a weird gushing one where, you know, I, I'm, there's nothing but praise. I've listened to in headphones just to hear what you're doing in the background. Like who, what instruments are here and why did you make that decision? It's pretty cool i mean it's it's a really thoughtful album thank you thank okay. thank you kat edmondson for speaking to me when something came from baltimore thank you for having me thanks for listening to something came from baltimore the show now on box.com check us out next week where we're chatting with joey alexander uh, his new album is called warna and we got 15 minutes to ask 30 questions with him it's a lot of fun what was that noise? The creaking of the floor. I can't remember now if I locked the door. Is someone in the house? Don't know. Oh.
Listen to something came from Baltimore anytime since it's a podcast, and we are on iTunes, Anchor, and YouTube, and a ton of other platforms. Subscribe and stay in touch.